This is, of course, Father's Day, as has already been acknowledged in this service. And it is a day that I'm sure there will be many different types of emotion. One emotion that probably will rise up within us now is the fact that I'm going to tell you there's a Yorkie bar for every man as they leave the service today. And uh, I don't want that to encourage you to start praying, right, Pip, get this over and done with, quickly, I get my Yorgi bar. <laughs> but uh, there's a Yorgi bar there for you. But it is, in all seriousness, a day that does raise many different emotions. And, and it's been lovely, the sense of honouring uh, that there has taken place in the service, even at the, the start with those slides of, and clues for men and the last slide, nobody knew who this guy was. We're just honouring his commitment to his children and the difference that he had made in their lives. And we're just so grateful that many of you will have good memories of your fathers, fathers that you have. But it is a difficult occasion too um, for people who do not have great memories of their dad. Or maybe you would love to have been a father, but uh, life didn't work out that way. But maybe you are that spiritual father that has been mentioned on a number of occasions in this service. And we thank you for the, the service that you give in that Maybe you are a dad and, and today is a difficult occasion for you because you remember someone in your family, a son or a daughter who is ill or maybe one who has passed away, gone on to be with the Lord. Or maybe you're a bit like me and you remember your dad uh, who is no longer with you. My dad passed away when I was 14 years of age and today is a sad one, but it's one that I'm very, very thankful in because Dad was a wonderful, wonderful Christian man, and I'm very thankful for him. It's sad because I would love to have Dad around to mentor and cheer me on in my ministry and in my family life as well. But in the providence of God, that's not the case. But it's a thankful day today for one who was so loving, kind, and gentle. You know what my, one of my most lovely memories of Dad is? Every night he would kneel beside my bed and then my two other brothers and pray the most beautiful prayers over us. And I'm so thankful today for a godly heritage that I can honour in this service. So we celebrate the good. We honour the great dads out there that we, remember, that we have or remember. But we reach out to those who are struggling. And we let you know that we're here for any of you, and we love you. If you have a Bible with you, could you turn with me, please, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we're going to read from verse 25. As you look that up, I will explain a little bit of the context of this scripture. John has outlined that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene and then to the disciples. But of course, there was one notable absentee during that visitation, uh, and that is Thomas. And we uh, remember him as doubting Thomas, and we'll discover why during the, the reading of this scripture. So we're going to read, start reading at verse 25. This is the inspired and the authoritative word of God. The other disciples therefore said to Thomas, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, <clears throat> his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, 
reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, you, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. And we know God will add his blessing to that reading from his word. To believe in the existence of God is a very difficult thing for many people to do. However, to believe in the claims of Christianity can be even more problematic. Because according to the Bible, belief in Christianity means much, much more than just, I believe in a God out there. The New Testament was originally written in the Greek language and the Greek, the verb that we translate to believe is the Greek word pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. And pistuo means to believe in something or someone with such conviction that it brings you to a place where you place your trust, confidence and faith in that person. Let me give you an example from the Bible. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us whoever believes in Jesus will have everlasting life. However, this pistuo, which leads to everlasting life, is much more than, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or I believe in a, a God out there. It is a conviction in our hearts that leads us to be persuaded and compelled to put our trust in him. This pistuo leads to a surrendered life, and we need God's help to believe him in this way. And this is not just for non-Christians, by the way, because as Christians, we often struggle to believe with conviction when we're going through difficult times in our lives. In our reading, Thomas would not believe that Jesus was alive until he saw him. But of course, when he did see him, he believed. But do you remember what Jesus said then to Thomas? He said, because you've seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen me, but have believed. And that is the position all of us find ourselves in today because many, if not all of us, have not seen the risen Jesus. Hence why it can be so hard for people to trust in a way that leads to a surrendered life. We need God's help. And this morning we are hugely excited to, to start a new series that we pray God will use in a powerful way to help each and every one of us believe in Jesus with such conviction that leads to a surrendered life, whether it be for the first or the umpteenth time. 
Over the next few months in our morning services, we're going to do a study from John's Gospel, and for very good reason. Because in today's reading, we discovered the whole point of John's Gospel, and it was to persuade his readers to believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 30 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs. I'm emphasizing that word for a good reason. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these signs were given that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's class. John is the only gospel writer who gives a precise statement regarding the purpose of his gospel. He wrote signs to help us believe pistuo in Jesus and over the next number of months we're going to think about the seven signs that are contained in the first half of John's gospel and no matter what your journey no matter where you are in terms of your belief in Jesus or maybe your struggles with belief in Jesus there's something in this series for you and we trust God will inspire belief in our lives that leads to Christ. The series we're calling Signs of Life and Symbols of Hope. Jesus Christ is quite simply the greatest person to have ever walked the face of this earth. There is no one who has impacted this world like him. And for the three years of his ministry, John was with him. He was part of a, an inner circle. He was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. He described himself as the disciple Jesus loved. He was an eyewitness to everything Jesus Christ did. And he carefully selected seven specific miracles, or as he defined them, signs that emphasize special truth that we need to know about Jesus. Now, before we look at these signs, let me tell you a little bit more about John's gospel. It is strikingly different to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are similar, hence why we refer to them as the synoptic Gospels. But John's Gospel is different. More than 80% of the content in John's Gospel is not found in the other three Gospels. It was written much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, probably around 90 AD. And perhaps the difference in content is due to the different time and context and culture into which John was writing. Let's remember, when John was writing, that it was after the fall of Jerusalem. It was into a culture where Christians were being severely persecuted for their faith with the scattering of the church, disillusionment from the destruction of their temple, and also with the rise of Gnosticism, of false teaching, heresy that was taking place. This all presented John with this remarkable opportunity to put pen to paper and to clarify some important doctrinal points which supplement for us what was written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. His gospel is structured these seven signs which we contain are in the first half. Sometimes people refer to chapters 2 to 11 as the book of signs and chapters 12 on as being the book of glory. That part in the book of Jesus and his private ministry to the disciples, teaching them, building them up, getting them ready for the ministry that was ahead as he moved to the cross. So what are these seven signs? For those who are taking notes, I'll give you the chapters here. 
in chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. Chapter 4, he healed the nobleman's son. Chapter 5, Jesus healed the infirm man at the pool of Bethesda. Chapter 6, he fed 5,000. And later in chapter 6, he walked on water. Chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man in Siloam. And then in chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Seven signs containing crucial truth for us about who Jesus is. And just on the whole point of the structure of John's gospel, as well as seven signs, we also know that there are the emphatic seven I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. For those who maybe don't know, seven statements where Jesus clearly claimed to be God. And then these signs that actively reinforce the claims. And we can make the link between some of them. For instance, Jesus turned water into wine. I am the true vine. He feeds 5,000. I am the bread of life. He heals a blind man from birth. I am the light of the world. He raises Lazarus from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. So there is structure, there is purpose in the way John writes his gospel. Now, of course, there are a few miracles in the second half of the book with the cross and resurrection. And then in chapter 21, the miraculous catch of fish. But these are the signs we're going to think about that reveal truth about who Jesus is that can inspire life and hope in him. And what I want to do in our remaining time is firstly think a little bit more about the purpose of these signs before secondly giving a little taster from each sign to see what's ahead of us in this series and then finally how we can respond this morning. So what was the purpose of these signs? Well, the Greek word for sign is semion, S-E-M-E-I-O-N and it means a sign given to confirm or authenticate, a sign that emphasizes an end purpose a sign that exalts the one who gives it. Signs are important and they're all around us. Road signs are, are there given to help direct us to somewhere. We've seen plenty of dark clouds over the, the weekend which has just passed and they are a sign of potential rain. Signs are important. They lead us to somewhere or they direct us to a deeper meaning. A sign points to something outside of itself. A left turn sign is not left. It's pointing and directing us to go somewhere which is left. So John, when he uses this word semion to describe these events, he's using it to point not just to the miraculous, but to the fact that the event was pointing to a greater purpose. And this is not a new thing in Scripture. Do you remember when God gave Moses miraculous powers, they were to be a sign so that the people would believe God had sent him. Then there was Gideon, you remember the fleece? It was a sign to let Gideon believe God's call in his life and that God was very much, very much with him. So for John and his gospel, these wonders were not miracles or ends in themselves, just that, but they were signs that significantly pointed beyond the act to the divine reality of Jesus and people believing in him and finding life and hope in who he is. Jesus Christ never performed miracles just to impress people. 
You remember when he stood before Herod and Herod was really excited and he asked Jesus to perform a, a miracle because he just was curious and interested. What did Jesus do? He stood there silently. He said, and he did absolutely nothing. He never performed miracles to impress people. He always carried out miracles because he loved the people and had compassion upon the people he was trying to help. He turns water into wine to avoid embarrassment for the groom. He fed 5,000 people because he had compassion on them. He raised Lazarus from the dead because he loved Lazarus. He carried out powerful miracles because he cared for the people who he was helping. But the word semion lets us see that there was an even greater point to these explosions of divine power they were signs pointing beyond the deed to the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. Now, just a word of caution here, please. Because sometimes people can read this book and start to seek after the signs rather than seek after Jesus. Or we can even get into a place where we start to use signs or miracles as a bargaining tool with God. If I see this miracle sign or I get this miracle in my life, then I will believe. That was never the purpose of John's gospel. Yes, God is an amazing miracle working God and we should rightly bring our needs before him and God encourages us to do this. And as a leadership team, we will stand with anyone here who has a need and we will pray with you but sometimes people use signs, a little bit like Thomas. If I see Jesus, then I will believe. Or God, if you heal me or the person I love, then I will believe in you. We use the desire for what we desperately want in life in order to say we will then believe. Friends, I just want to say today that that is a very precarious stance for anyone to take. Because sometimes God does respond to our prayers in a miraculous and, and wonderful way. Jesus let Thomas see him and then he believed. But what about the Pharisees and the religious leaders? They continually saw Jesus performing the most amazing signs and miracles. They saw the results of lots of other signs, but it did not result in them having saving faith. In fact, they wanted to kill Jesus. How many people have promised God, you will have my life if you do this for me. And then when God graciously does that, whatever for them, does it always result in a surrendered life? Not always. Because seeing does not always lead to believing. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you can not see. Jesus did not do miracles just for the sake of it. And John does not direct them to us to them for that. He calls them signs to say there's something greater. There's a greater reason for these. And this is very important. And the whole point of this series is to encourage us to seek after Jesus Christ, to believe in him, and to have that surrendered life because in him there is life and hope. And there's so much to get excited about in this particular 
series. Let me give you a little snippet. Jesus turns water into wine that we'll think about next week. He didn't do that to fuel an age-old debate in the church about alcohol, but for a great revelation of who he was and what he had come to do. Huge jars containing water, and he turns them into wine. Water for purification. They'd ran out to severe embarrassment. He, he turns it into wine. But there was a greater sign here. What's he saying? This water that can only cleanse you on the outside? I've come to do something new. And he turns it into something that we will use to remember in a minute. That speaks of a new way. That speaks of what can cleanse us on the inside. And bring joy and wonder into our lives. He heals a nobleman's son at the, and the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the blind man. Yes, because he had beautiful compassion upon these people. But to point to a greater healing Jesus Christ can do in your life and in my life, a spiritual healing that brings hope, wholeness and restoration to our relationship with God. The devil wants to keep our spiritual eyes and minds blinded. Jesus is the light of the world and he came that our eyes might be opened and we might see the hope that there is in him he fed 5,000 men plus women and children yes because they were hungry but to make way for that great revelation of him being the bread of life amazing two creative miracles water into wine he fed 5,000 with bread the very symbols that we will use in a minute to remember what Jesus did for us these were not random selected miracles for no reason at all. They were to let us see this is our God, the servant king. He is our savior. He then walked on water to show his power and sovereignty over nature. And then almost as if these signs are building to a crescendo, he heals Lazarus from the dead to foreshadow the greatest miracle of all when Jesus Christ rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin to give us life and hope. And we are trusting, we are praying that God's going to shine the light of his hope into each of our hearts that we might know our great God and Messiah, Jesus Christ. So how in the last few minutes can we respond today? Well, this morning is a, a, an introduction to a series on signs that point to a greater purpose. And I want to finish in that context by reaching out to every single one of you. If you are not a Christian, God loves you. And he has you here for a very specific reason. You're not here by accident or by chance. God has you here today because he loves you. And he has given you the most powerful sign to show the extent of his love. That's the cross. All of the signs in John's gospel were to show a greater purpose than the act in themselves. And there was a greater reason than Jesus just dying on a cross to give us a historical fact or to, uh, to, to, to create the debate on a, on a moral injustice. He died on a cross to let you know 2,000 years later here in Dundonald Elam that you are loved, so loved, very loved by the sovereign one who can change your life. He died on that cross to pay the price for your sin, for mine, 
for all of our imperfections. And our prayer over these weeks is that as you will journey with us in this series and you'll keep your minds open to what God will say to you. It's the entrance of his word, isn't it? That brings light. That's why we preach the word of God faithfully week in, week out. We long for you to know Jesus. Who would not want to know him? Jesus Christ isn't worth following. I, I don't know who he is. He's the sovereign one who has the power to make your life new, to bring spiritual healing that opens blind eyes and recreates you and makes you whole. He's the one who can take that spiritual deadness you feel in your heart right now and burst it into spiritual life because he's alive. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the door. He's the way to salvation. So this series is to help you in your spiritual journey that maybe you're ready to give your life to Jesus right now, here, today. And if you are, if you're listening online, please email us, pip at dundonaldelam.church and we would love to help you. If you're here, speak to one of the pastors or maybe the person who invited you to church today and ask. We've had a number of people tell us at the door that they've become Christians in the services, so don't be embarrassed about that. It's the whole reason we, we, we come here. We want to have that conversation with you. Please, please talk to us or lift one of the brown envelopes at the reception desk and get in touch with us. The cross is the greatest sign of God's love for you and me. And then finally, for every believer here, how can we respond? Let's respond in worship. In worship of our great God, with worshipful hearts that want to learn, that keep coming out week in, week out, to learn from the Word of God, because we're excited about this new series. We're excited about what God's going to reveal to us through it. Let's respond with worshipful hearts and mouths as we sing the praises of our great God, which we will do in just a minute. But most of all, as the worship team join me on the stage, can we respond as worshipful Christians who lay everything down at the cross again to live our lives for Jesus? The signs, miracles in John's gospel point to a greater purpose. God has worked the greatest miracle of all in your life and in my life by giving us new life in him. But this miracle God has worked in our lives, it's not just for us. It's to become a sign. A sign that points to a greater one than who we are. A sign that points to an incredible saviour as we live our lives for him. So at work, at home, at university, school with our friends, whatever, may our lives show the miracle sign of what God has worked in our lives. As we learn more about Jesus over these weeks together, may we respond in great worship of our great God together corporately, but as we're the church scattered in our worlds every week, that we live for him. We become those living signposts that point and direct people to our living saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.